to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. We have very much been looking forward to talking with our guest on this episode, acclaimed writer and journalist Stephanie Fu, who is the author of the book, What My Bones Know, a memoir of healing from complex trauma. What My Bones Know has been described as both harrowing and inspirational, packed with valuable insight into trauma and the healing process. The Washington Post and Publishers Weekly are among the publications that have raved about the book and called it one of the best books of the year. Stephanie, we thank you so very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us what prompted you to write the book, to share so much of your struggle in a very public way. Um, Well, I was diagnosed in 2018 with complex PTSD and um after I was diagnosed, I'm a journalist, and so I really wanted to learn more about what this meant. And so I started reading everything I could, which was not very much at all. There was just no um, first-person account of having complex PTSD. It was just mostly um, really clinical boring, often really pathologizing books and articles. And so I decided that if I was going to heal from complex PTSD, I needed to write that first person account because I, as a, you know, longtime producer for This American Life and Snap Judgment, I knew how important, how humanizing that first person story is. Now, you were diagnosed with complex PTSD that manifests as depression and anxiety. So I'm wondering, how is that different than regular PTSD for people who don't know what complex PTSD is? Because I think it might really help them. Yeah, I think it does manifest as, well, I thought it manifested as depression and anxiety for many years. But in time, I've come to learn that it there's a lot of other fun symptoms associated with it. Um, (laughs) Such as? Yeah. So, well, with PTSD, you can get PTSD from a single traumatic event. So let's say you're in a car crash, you can get PTSD from that. Um, Complex PTSD would be like if you got in that car crash every single week for years and years on end. And unless you're a tremendously unlucky person, that probably is only going to occur to you um, if you're in a relationship with someone who is treating you very poorly. Um, My complex PTSD comes from a really abusive childhood. My parents were really terrible. Um, This complex PTSD can also come from um, domestic violence and having an abusive partner or even like living in a war zone. And so what that does is it really deteriorates your trust in other people because Often the people who are supposed to be taking care of you, loving you, are treating you very poorly. And it sort of um, makes you afraid of people in general. Let's talk more about your story because it is, as I said, you know, harrowing in some parts. It's it's hard to read. I mean, I mean it just really you know, grips at you. So, so tell us about your background. Your family came to the United States from Malaysia. Why, why did they come here? And what was that experience like? Um, I don't really know what the experience was like for them because I was two and a half. Um, 
But um, they came here because they wanted a better future for me and because my dad had the opportunity to come through his work as an engineer. So he got a visa through his company, which sponsored us and put us up in a really lovely home in a lovely community in San Jose, California. I was really surprised. Actually, not. I shouldn't say surprised. I thought it was really interesting that you wrote that they came to the country not to escape, but to thrive, because it seems to me like that's really what kind of started all of this, especially with with your mother. So can you explain that a little more? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think millions and millions of immigrants come to this country every year who um, have college educations and who come here for work. And so it's not always like the very harrowing refugee story, though that was very common in my community in San Jose. Um, Though, yeah, they they just really wanted me to do well. They wanted me to have a great education. Um, They probably went about it the wrong way. Um, in being extremely abusive and perfectionistic. Um, I think it was really common in my Asian American community, though, to be abused, um, to be beaten, or at least demeaned if you weren't getting perfect grades, if you got a B plus, if you weren't doing everything you possibly could to get into Stanford. Um, so that was sort of the very high pressure, high anxiety bubble that we were living in. And you don't feel that you were alone in that kind of thing, that it isn't all that uncommon? No, definitely not. Um, All of my best friends were um, suffering from some form of abuse. Yeah, all of them. (laughs) Um, Whether it be physical in many, many cases, sometimes verbal. Um, And yeah, I mean, all of us were undergoing a tremendous amount of pressure to take as many AP classes as we could, get the best grades, um, do piano or violin and two languages on top of like key club and school. So we're all pretty stressed out. How did having that diagnose of complex PTSD change how you looked back at your childhood? Because I imagine it, it made you think differently about it when you first heard the term. I mean, I always knew I wasn't under any illusions that my childhood was okay. Like my both of my parents abandoned me in high school and I was like severely beaten and like my parents tried to kill me a bunch of times. Like that is not normal. I always knew that that was not normal. Um, I guess the complex PTSD diagnosis just made me realize that my childhood had a much more profound effect on me every day than I had previously thought. I kind of thought like I had transcended it through becoming successful, through becoming a producer at This American Life, through like, you know, taking shrooms and like going to therapy and whatever, but just all of these tiny um, triggers that I was building up every day, this like constant sort of stress and feeling of not being enough all the time um, that I became, I understood was now a real issue due to 
this very legitimate um, disorder um, or mental health condition, I guess, not disorder. Um, And I think that um, I definitely look at that community of that was hustling and very pressured very differently because I think many of us grew up maybe successful, but deeply broken inside. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, That would take many years to fix. So yeah. At one point, ironically, after a mother daughter bonding trip with your scout troop, You write that your mother told you, you've ruined my life. I wish you were never born. I mean, how did you react to that? And what do you feel when you look back on that years later with the the wisdom, I would hope, of, you know, of someone who's who's not a teenager? Yeah, I mean, I heard that from my mom on like a monthly basis, at least. So it wasn't I think I got pretty inured to it. And I was like that sucks. <laughs> um, but I, I, again, I got so, uh, in near to it. I think uh, as many people with complex PTSD do that it becomes normalized and you don't really see how, um, deeply messed up it is that a parent would say something like that to a child until years later. And you don't really see that that voice becomes the hypercritical voice in your head that is constantly telling you that you're not enough all the time. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, as an adult, that's a terrible thing to say to a child. Nobody should have to hear that. After your parents divorced and you decided to live with your father, you said that for a while it felt like it was the two of you against the world, but then you said you realized that you were alone. What changed? Um, he left. (laughs) Um, yeah, he abandoned me for another family when I was about 16. Um, started leaving around when I was around 15. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, even when we were, the two of us against the world, as he was taking care of me, I very much needed to take care of him. And I was in this very parentified role that in retrospect, many years later, I uh, came to understand was extremely unhealthy. Um, So yeah, I think none of that was good. Right. Did, did you feel at the time though, that anything had brought on that, that, change did he try and give you an explanation for it for for why he left no he got a girlfriend how do you think your family appeared to other people on the outside would would other adults would other teachers have guessed that you were enduring these beatings this horrible physical abuse and verbal abuse at home and, and and did did anybody notice? No, not really. I mean, my my neighbor noticed. One person in my life noticed my neighbor because she could hear my mom screaming at me all the time. But no, I think my parents were. They looked like a really perfect, wonderful family. I think, you know, 
I was so high achieving, which really wowed all of my teachers. Um, and uh, my mom was a great volunteer, volunteered at the district, at the school. My dad was a successful engineer. Um, and I think, you know, we're taught to hide this very well, too, because I knew the consequences in terms of, like, did I want, you know, to be taken by CPS and become a foster child? No, that was not, you know, that didn't sound like a good idea either. Um, and so I think that a lot of teachers and social workers definitely need to look behind the achievement and consider what is driving that achievement and consider what might be going on behind what seems like a perfect home. I think lots, all of the teachers at my high school were just completely stunned that when I told them that large portions of their population were being abused and they kind of refused to believe me. Um, But it happens. And I think it happens because of the model minority too. I think um, white people assume like, oh, look at these high achieving Asians. They're just, they're doing great. (laughs) And they don't see or think like there's a historic tremendous issue with child abuse and domestic abuse in Asian American communities that winds up getting unaddressed. Um, And you know, the, the violence that we're seeing in Asian communities now is, is nothing new. What advice do you have for somebody who is a teenager who might be hearing this and they're experiencing some of the things that you did, hopefully not quite to that extent, but let's, let's just say they're experiencing serious pressure from their parents to achieve and they feel there will be consequences if they don't but they're afraid that if they come forward, they would maybe end up in a foster home. What should they do? Should they confide in somebody or, or yeah, what would you advise them? I mean, it's definitely totally different if they have really serious pressures coming from their parents academically. Um, I would say, you know, you are not your grades. You are more important than your academic achievement. And it's a long game and you don't have to, life is long and what happens in high school does not necessarily need to define the rest of your existence. You have, you're going to have so many more opportunities for achievement outside of this very brief window of space and time. Um, like I had a 2.9 GPA when I graduated, I'm fine. I'm great. So I would definitely encourage them about that. If they're doing, if they're going through something much more serious with um, undergoing verbal or physical abuse, I would say definitely reach out to somebody, reach out to a trusted adult, whether it be a counselor or a therapist or a friend. There may be resources to get your parents' help in your neighborhood, in your community. There may even be culturally responsive therapy available for your parents. Um, A lot of times they don't immediately like to separate you know, parents and children. And a lot of times there might be resources to get your parents the help that they need to be a better parent to you. Um, But you don't deserve to suffer. You don't need to hold everything in. You don't need to um, keep everything a secret. 
and protect your parents because what's happening to you is not right. And you're immensely courageous for surviving and living through what you have and still going to school every day, showing up, doing what you can. Um, but it doesn't need to be this way. And the longer you put up with it, the worse the results are going to be down the line. In your own case, what role has journalism played in your ability to see clearly what you were going through and to rise above it? What it really did is it gave me a really, probably one of the healthier paths to dissociation that I could have. Like some people get addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever, which I mean, I had an alcohol problem too, but um, I just got addicted to success, to journalism, to reporting, to the story, to work. And I think that allowed me to bury my trauma for a really long time. It did give it did give me a career and it, you know, it gave me the resources to be able to heal from trauma eventually. But I think there's a difference between success and real like emotional resilience. And I don't know that it gave me like healing resilience. Um though it it has given me a lot in my life. Yeah, I'm wondering what advice you have for people who are kind of doing a similar thing and throwing themselves into their work, trying to numb themselves in some way to try and dissociate from the pain. I would say like it's a great short-term fix. Honestly, like if you're feeling like crap one day and you just need to get your mind off of it, like, yeah, go work, watch TV, dissociate, do what you need to do. Longer term, it's not going to work <laughs> because you will burn out. Um, and I would, I would want to say to my younger self, you know, um, it's great that you're working 70 hours a week right now, but you're not going to be able to do that forever. And you might have a longer career in journalism if you don't do this. Cause I, I'm no longer really, um, I'm not a journalist in the sense that I don't really work in a newsroom. I don't think I'll ever work in a newsroom again because I'm totally burnt out on that. Um, I might not have been if I hadn't pushed myself so far so long, um, so yeah, I think, you know, it, think about, it's a marathon, not a race. What did you learn about how trauma can be inherited through generations? Experiencing trauma can actually affect your epigenome. It can, um, literally affect your genes and how they're expressed. And so, and not just for you, but for your children and your children's children, um, so obviously I think that trauma can be passed down in the way that we parent our children very much. So um, I think that, you know, my parents parented me in the way that they thought was responsible, given their, given their upbringings, given their traumas and it was totally inappropriate, but they thought it was totally fine from their own histories, right? So there's that, but there's also the biological element. And I think together, you know, 
this is classic evolution, basically. If your parents were in a situation where they needed to be panicked and sort of hustle and be on high alert all the time in order to survive, then that's a skill that gets passed on to you. And the world doesn't necessarily, you don't necessarily know that the world has changed, that everything is safe now. And so now you have this adaptation that's supposed to help you survive, but isn't working in a new, like safe, comfortable, peaceful world. Um, so the trick is trying to be able to calm your body and adapt and use those skills when danger actually arises and you might need them and not use them when everything is safe and you don't. I'm wondering if we can talk about therapists and not just your relationship with therapists, but but really, again, your advice for people who have experienced something traumatic in their lives and maybe have given up on therapy because they feel like their therapist just doesn't really get it. Um, there's just a lot more different kinds of therapy than you might be aware of. Um, there's so many different letters. There's CBT, there's DBT, there's IFS, there's EMDR. Um there's somatic therapy, there's decolonized therapy. And I think that there are so many different methodologies out there. And if something is not working for you, say CBT or traditional talk therapy is just not working for you, then try something else. Like if you needed to get in shape, and you went to the gym and you tried running and you hated running, why would you still get on the treadmill every single time? Like go to a spin class, do Pilates, do yoga, do something else. It's the exact same thing. Like different people need different things because we're all different. And also getting a therapist is like dating. It's like making a friend. You also want to have somebody that you feel safe with that you like. If you are a person of color and you decide, oh, I need a therapist of color totally fine. If you're a woman and you have a male therapist and you're like, oh, I don't like this. I want a female therapist. Try that out. You know, it's about experimentation. I think what is really broken and horrible about our uh, mental health care system is it doesn't make this experimentation easy. It doesn't make it easy to find therapists with really different um, backgrounds. There is no sort of like when we go to the doctor, the doctor doesn't really walk us through like any psychoeducation about the different kinds of therapy there are. We have to do all this research on our own and it's really expensive to try all this different forms of therapy. Also, like a lot of these forms of therapy don't take insurance because again, our mental broken healthcare system. So that makes therapy sometimes really inaccessible to people um, especially people who aren't wealthy, who aren't white, who aren't privileged. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. That's one of the reasons why I wrote the, my book is to try and just sort of give like a little bit of a guide of a primer to what is out there and what it feels like 
to go through a bunch of different forms of therapy. And Stephanie, we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that you have learned from all of this that you'd like to pass on to others? Um, There's so much. I think nobody told me, I think at the beginning of my journey, I felt like I was fully saying like, Nobody told me how profoundly your childhood childhood can affect like every single moment of your day. And then after my whole healing journey, I think that that sort of shifted and it was like, wow, nobody told me that as much as my trauma can be a disability, it can also be a superpower. And I have to learn to hold those two things every day and sort of figure out how to deploy it in every situation. Those are absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. I really like using it as your superpower. And if people want to learn more about your story and about your, your healing journey, how can they learn about the book and connect with you on social media? Yeah. Um, What my bones know comes out in paperback on February 21st, 2023. And so pick that up. I also have an audiobook available and an ebook available. My audiobook actually includes real clips um, from my actual therapy sessions um, of me talking to my therapist. So that's a fun bonus. And my social media is I am at I'm on the radio on Twitter. And I am at foo, foo, foo. That's F-O-O three times on Instagram. And you have a website as well, don't you? I do. Um, It's not that fun, but it does have a really good um, list of resources. If you are, if you like my book and you really want to keep healing, um, there's so many um, great books that are coming out like this year, last year, especially written by people of color about healing from complex trauma. So go check that out. It's stephaniefu.me. Okay, great. Well, Stephanie, we thank you so much for, for joining us. And we know that your story will resonate with other people and hopefully help them start on the path to healing. Awesome. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Again, our thanks to Stephanie Fu, whose book is called What My Bones Know, a memoir of healing from complex trauma. And again, her website is stephaniefu.me. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 